bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Pastor Eddie Bumpers. Hey, John. I'm glad to be with you, man. I'm excited about spending some time talking together. Amen. Amen. We had a great first episode. Uh, One Broken Life is a podcast where we explore uh, people's lives and broken lives. And we believe that many times the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And um, what God can do with just one one life, one broken life when Amen. they come to that broken place. and. And uh, a couple uh, verses that we use, if you did not listen to the last podcast, part one, go back and watch part one, because this is part two of Brother Eddie's uh, life. And so uh, Psalms 51.17 says that um, the sacrifice of God, our broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit, that, that God won't despise that. Um, and then Philippians 1.12, it says that Paul is speaking about his past. And he says, the things, the pronoun things, the past things, the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, that they make the gospel go places it's never went before. And um, Amen. And so we explored your recovery story, your past, and now we're going to talk about what God is doing now since then, which is a lot, right? Amen. Yeah. And so... Uh, just tell us what what life's like for you now, Pastor. What 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 is God doing right now in your life? Amen. Yeah, thank you, Brother John. Well, when I got saved, of course, I was in the military, and then uh, when I got out of the military, I just reaffirmed in my heart what I was thinking about. You know, what God was putting on my heart is He wanted me to pre be a preacher, so I surrendered to preach. In a camp meeting with an older pastor, I walked down the aisle and. I was on the altar, and this older pastor came down, knelt down beside me, and I said, man, I'm struggling with whether God wants me to be a preacher or not. And he said, well, tell me about it. I said, well, you know, every time somebody's up preaching, I'm thinking, I want to do that. And, uh, you know, I just feel like every time that I open the Bible, God's given me a message or something to say, and I just can't shake it. He said, well, you need to surrender to it. God's calling you to preach, surrender to it. So on that altar that day at that camp, I surrendered to preach the gospel. And... Um, how old were you? I was uh, probably, I was 19, going on 20, just about a year after I was saved. And uh, so I went, uh, you know, I, of course, I was uh, still uh, doing the work on the brick mason guy, and I was doing some waterproofing, these kind of things during that time. And then I started to college, you know. And uh, after that, about that same time, Tess and I got married. And um, I started going to college. And at uh, nighttime, I worked during the daytime just trying to get 
some get some credits in and get some things going on like that. And um, and then I, I uh, my dad was of course a pastor, so uh, our youth pastor at our church left to take a church to become a pastor. So he asked me, would I just fill in for the young people, work with the students? Man, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I hadn't been saved but a year. And so I started doing youth work. Man, I started preparing messages and preaching to the students, preparing messages, preaching to the students, doing activities, taking them places. And um, I just kind of kept building. The youth group began to grow. Young people began to get saved. And I found I had some students, like, you know, some pretty rough students, of course, Jackson, Florida, you know, some of those got a stigma a little bit of drugs and stuff a little bit, and it's a lot of that. So I had some students that were, you know, I could tell they were mess, they were messing with dope. And so um, I remember we were going on a trip one time, and there were some students that um, they were going to go on this trip with us. And so somebody told me, hey, they got marijuana. They're going to go and take it on this trip with them. And so I'm going to search them. And I... Of course, you know, you, you, there again, that verse in Philippians, these things that have happened in your past, God uses it to be a radar in on these students. So I'm in their lives trying to help them get straightened out. And I had been straightened out that long myself, but God's using me to help them. So I found one kid had marijuana joints rolled up in his in his hat. You know, nice. he stuck them down in Visor's hat. And one girl had her mouth washed, bottle filled of vodka. And so, and these kids were going on youth, crip, youth trips with us, and Tess and I. Uh, and so... Um, you know, God was using me to reach into their life and to speak into their life. And so these kids got saved and their lives were changed. And so that's how it kind of started for me in youth ministry, doing youth ministry, and did that for 12 years working with students. So that, you, were you able to share your story with them? Oh, yeah, time? man, a lot. So what did you do? No, we're just kind of going a rabbit trail. But yes, sir. what did you do? How did you handle that with their parents? I told their parents, man. I straight up called their parents and said, come up to the church. And they came, and I told them, showed them, told them all was going on. They can't go on this trip. So that was before the cell phones and all that. Oh, you're, yeah. You that was before. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you that, rotary dial that number <laughs> yeah. from the church office. Yeah. Mash the button. What did we, we, had, we were high tech. We had button phones. Oh, okay. wanted a rotary. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. So cool. That's awesome. Uh, so God was using your story then, using yeah. your past. Yeah. Um, and so let me ask you a question, million-dollar question. Uh, when we first met, I tell people this story a lot, but um, I told you the people we were after are going to smell bad. I didn't know your recovery story, by the way, then. And uh, they're going to – I even said they'd break in, break in the church and steal from the church. That never happened, but uh, no. that I know of. Maybe it did. I don't know about it, but – uh, they they were gonna, not going to know the rules and and all that, and they would shake the church up. And there may be some people that leave the church, you know. There may be some givers that stop giving. And uh, and you said my church needs to be shook up. Absolutely. And that was in 2011, I think it was November. Um, and so now here we are, you know, 2022, almost August, almost 11 years later. Your church, Crossway Baptist Church, my church, our home church, is which was Broadway Baptist Church at the time, which was I believe a little, it was a little more tightened up then, you know. It could have been, <laughs> yeah, because you know it had come out of uh, a previous pastor and church who was a little bit more. 
I guess fundamental, maybe traditional kind of thing, because just the era, the 70s and 80s, that, that, that generation that had been kind of in the leadership of the church and kind of helped it, helped it to that certain place during that time frame. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think because of my testimony and the way the Lord had um, delivered me from that, that life of drugs and alcohol, even though as a teenage boy, you know, in church doing that life, and then I, I was 30 years old when I took my first church. And it was a rural church in Mississippi. And I didn't feel like I was ready to pastor a church, man. I told the people when they reached out to me, like, I don't think I can pastor a church. I'm, I mean, I'm doing the student ministry. I'm happy doing that. But I had some friends who said, man, Eddie, you, this is a great church. You need to take this rural church. It'd be, you know, you're ready to be a pastor. So I took this church. It was a rural area in north Mississippi, about six miles from Tennessee, right in the north part of Mississippi. And so in that community, like rural communities, man, there's a grocery store and a stoplight and a gas station and a lot of alcohol and dope in the backwoods. What are they going to do on the weekends? So in that ministry, I shared my story and preached. And so our students and young people and even young couples and families, the Lord used my story to see a lot of young people saved. And I started preaching revivals all around, telling my story and sharing my testimony, even when I was a youth pastor and beyond that. So it gave people hope to know the Lord can take somebody with a broken life and deliver them and use them. And so that's always been a part of my story. You know, that's Amen. part of my life, you know. And then uh, then, um, then I left, left that church to do a small stint in uh, North Carolina. I was in this church 18 months. Don't know how much this story to tell, really, but it was a part, I mean, it was a part, a little bit of, it was a humbling experience in my life because I left that rural church there. It was growing and doing well, but I had an opportunity to take a larger church, a larger rural church. The pastor there was going to be retiring, and I was going to take the church. And so I went there for about a year, and he came in one day and said, I don't, I don't think I'm going to leave. I'm like, well, uh, the agreement was you're on the way out, and I'm on the way in. This church don't need two pastors. So I, I guess that means I'll be leaving. I didn't know, you know, I, I, it was a really difficult time of life because I actually felt like my wife had told me, I probably don't know if I should be telling all no, this or not, but go. my wife that's told good. me before I went there, she said, Eddie, I don't feel like we should make this move. I'm like, I'm the man of the house. I know I'm the preacher. I'm the one that should know what God wants me to do. But she really wasn't in favor of that. She said, but you're, you're, the, you're, you're, you're the leader and you're responsible to God, so I'll follow you, even though I don't feel in my heart this is the thing we should do. Well, when we got there, I mean, she like cried like every Sunday she'd cry. It was just a tough in this church. Um, but looking back on that experience, I mean, it was a matter of pride. Me wanting a larger church or a larger platform probably was a selfish move. Probably wasn't following the Lord as much as sometimes we're following the Lord because we want to do something. We put the Lord's name on it, you know, but he's not really the, actually one that's leading us. But I got there and they didn't have a youth ministry there. They had no youth department. They didn't hardly do anything with the youth. So I started a Wednesday night youth department. And so I'd preach on Sunday in the church, and I'd preach on Wednesday in the gymnasium area for the students. And we started the student ministry. And the pastor was there? The pastor was there. But and you're doing all the preaching? I'm doing all the preaching on Sunday. What's he doing? He's, he's preaching revivals here and there, and still wants to run the church and run the business meetings and those kind of things. Want to keep his hands on the control of the church right. and me do the work. So I'm, I started this youth ministry. Man, it took off like crazy. These kids were hungry, man. I'd preach to them and, man, get in their grill and love on them and minister to them, go to the schools, um, Tess and I did. Um, 
And then we started seeing kids saved. And so one Sunday after revival meeting, um, one of the deacons in the church got saved. So when he gave the invitation, he came down and told the church he got saved. This was a real traditional, rigid North Carolina church, man. And so he came down and said he got saved, and we continued the invitation. And, and then in that invitation, 52 people came down the aisle during that service and got saved. They came out of the balcony. They came down the aisles. That invitation went on for almost two hours. Wow. People just getting saved, getting saved, crying out to God, getting saved from that. So I look back on that. I've never had anything like that happen in my life before or since. And so at the same time, I, I felt like I made that move because I wanted to help the church. They, they needed somebody. But, but God took it and did something great through that. So from, from that experience, because that was a great thing in the church, but the pastor wanted to stay there at the church. Right after that? He was, he, the conversation had happened right before that. Okay. And so I'm struggling with all these kind of things that are going on, and I'm, I'm thinking that's the reason I came here. That had to be the reason I came here to begin with God. It was about this, helping these students and, and seeing these people saved. And so uh, Missouri Tigers were playing the Clemson Tigers in a football game. So Keith Noble and Dale Timish, because they're big football fans, came, and I'd known them before. Uh, from Preacher Revival at Broadway. Are they Tiger fans? They're Missouri, Missouri Tiger fans, yeah. <laughs> so they said, they said, we're coming to North Carolina. We want to go to the football game. We want to go to the football game. I said, sure. So we went to the football game. The Tigers got stomped by the Clemson, <laughs> by Clemson. And they came to church with me that Sunday. And after church, they came to our house to eat. And uh, all this was going on during all this time, all this with the pastor going to stay, and I'm dissatisfied, my wife's crying, we know we, we shouldn't be here, yet God's saving people. It was just a really strange season in our life. And so they asked me at the table that day, how's things going with you? Well, we were walking out of the car, and Keith said uh, to me, he said, how, how, how do you, how's it going here? I said, Brother Keith, I don't feel like I'm going to be here long. It's just, and I gave him a little, little small blurb. I said, I just don't feel like I'm going to be here long. I'm not, I, that's not the place I need to be. And so I did not know. He went back and told the pulpit committee at Broadway that uh, I wasn't satisfied where I was, and they reached out to me. And that's where the journey began. Amen. And I came to preach revival at Broadway, and they were going to vote on me. Um, after the revival? Yep, after revival. No so, pressure. No pressure. So I, I was just preaching, <laughs> but one night I was at the, at the motel, and I, was, I got on the floor underneath the table and at my Bible, and I was praying. And I was reading Acts chapter 9. I was going to preach that night from the last part of Acts chapter 9. I'm reading the whole chapter. And I came to the verse. And I'm praying about the church, praying about Broadway. And, of course, they're praying about me. So I came to the verse where um, the Lord said to um, Paul, Arise and go to the city, and it should be told you what you need to do. And the Lord spoke to me and said, That's my word for you. Arise and come to this city and see what I'll do with you. <laughs> and that was so firm in my heart. That's for the church if he voted on me. So I'm like, okay, if they do, I'm coming. And uh, that was in uh, 2000. That's awesome. And then, of course, Broadway. You know, I came to Broadway. And, and then, of course, well, now we're Crossway. So it's just been, a, it's been an incredible thing to see what God has done. And I feel honored, brother, and humble that God would let me be a part of such a great people, such a great church. I, I pinch myself all the time that I get to be where I am and get to do what I get to do. 
I'm humbled and grateful. Well, I'm glad you came. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. And uh, it's funny because some know this, some don't. But, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know what I was. I, I got saved and reading the Bible. And uh, many have, you know, those spiritual fathers in their lives, people who have invested and led them to the Lord. And, but for me, it was the Bible in a prison cell, you know, with some, some cellmate who didn't know the Lord at the time. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm surrounded by uh, charismatic people, um, which I love dearly. But the the missionary that wrote me was a was an innocent was a God missionary, and then so when I got out of prison, twenty one days later, he picks me up, brings me to his house, takes me to the Salvation Army shelter with uh, the guy who runs it is a holiness Pentecostal, still a dear brother of mine right now to this day we're very Amen. close Jim Amen. Snell, uh, and he took me on his wing, so Dewey Houston picks me up, takes me to the recovery meeting, same as the God Church, you know. I had one Baptist friend. I called him Baptist Rick. You know? <laughs> I didn't even know yeah. I was Baptist. Yeah. But, but then as I, as I began to read the Bible and I had some things that I just couldn't couldn't agree with uh, that were going on and, and uh, doctrinally nothing immoral or anything. And so I left without a, without a church to go to. Um, I asked the pastor to meet with me, and he's probably thinking, well, who are you think you are asking me these questions? You know, he, he yeah. was very kind. But uh, I just said, I, I need to know these answers here, and this is a struggle for me, and, and uh, me and my son are going to leave. And I had nowhere to go. And, and that was a Sunday morning. So that Sunday night, I preached the second Sunday at the Harbor House Salvation Army. I preached the second Sunday night every, every, every month, uh, the second week. And that Sunday night, I went to preach that, that the homeless shelter. And we prayed on the altar. And uh, what am I going to do, Lord? That Wednesday morning, Paul Schaefer called Rick and said, we want to start a recovery ministry before we build a new building. That Wednesday, I was at your office. That Wednesday night, I was at Crossway Baptist Church. I left by faith. I left by faith with nowhere to go. You know what I thought? I thought, no one, I'm preaching in this church at the recovery meeting. I've got a recovery pastor who's taken me in, taught me all kinds of stuff. Uh, I had a model in my heart of how to do this with some things that I thought should be different. But I thought no one's ever going to give me a chance to preach because of the way I look and my past and my criminal record. No one will accept me mm. like this church has accepted me. I'm walking away from it. I'm preaching people are being saved. Ministry is growing. I'm thinking I'm, I'm walking away from this. I don't even know where I'm going to go, but I'm doing it, Lord. So I leave, mm. and then God moves, and there I am. Yes, he did. And the first Sunday, the first month at Crossway, our Broadway at the time, I have Sunday school teachers asking me to come to their class and share my testimony. I never had any Sunday school teachers asking me to come to their class and share their testimony at the church I left from. It was like God said, let me show you what I'm going to do Amen. with Amen. this thing. And so— uh, my, you know, we're rolling into Crossway, Broadway, a Baptist church in a purple van with gold letters that says, Oh, Zarkus, is a God yeah, on remember, it. I remember that van, man. Full of homeless people. It was so awesome. You know, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I tell folks all the time, you know, 
it wouldn't be no different than rolling into a, to a, to a Pentecostal church with a Baptist van. Right, yeah. It was just odd, you know, and people looking at us and thinking, what are you guys doing? What is going on here? And so my question is this. Uh, so what was that like for you at the time, you know, being the very first, the freeway was a ministry of Broadway Baptist Church. What was that like? How, how was that transition as, um, as the ministry was born and we outgrew our first building our first night? You know, uh, I was told if you ever outgrow that building, let us know. And we outgrew it the first night. That was crazy good. Yeah, you know, we had been praying about this. And Paul and I had been talking about this. And, of course, you know, when you look across any congregation, not just Broadway, but any congregation, and you start seeing the families and you start thinking about, hey, there's hardly anybody in this church is not affected by drugs and alcohol. Whether it's that family coming out of that lifestyle or they got a kid or they got a brother or sister or cousin, someone's like, you know, people's lives are falling apart. People are dying. What is this church doing to reach people who are struggling with addiction? So we've been praying about it. And um, that's why Paul reached out to Rick. And then, you know, we had that meeting so we're kind of beginning to think about, okay, we didn't have any idea that it would be to the magnitude that Freeway has grown to be the ministry that it is. But we knew that we needed a local church recovery ministry to help our families. And as an outreach beyond our, the walls of our church to reach into our community that's filled with drugs. How can we start a Bible study? How can we start a recovery ministry that would be discipleship-based? You know, just a, 12 steps and then goodbye but hey you know this is a lifestyle of a lifestyle of following jesus obeying jesus staying connected with the church so you'll have a support system to live a life and be changed and be different so we 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 had that burden we had that heart and a desire and of course when you you came in to see us and and, and rick and mike a and my paul and i i really didn't know mike or you um but i knew rick a little bit his story and so i'm like man this is what we've been praying for let's try it didn't have any idea what all that meant but then, you know, there were not a lot of comments from the church family, but maybe a few, you know, kind of comments like, you know, can't leave your purse on the pew, you know, or they're going to steal the computer out of the sound booth. A couple of those kind of comments <laughs> like that. So I don't know if you remember if you were there that particular Sunday. I stood up one Sunday at church, and I said, you know, this, this ministry is a ministry of, of, of Broadway Baptist Church. We're excited about this ministry. We're all into this ministry. I feel like God's led us to do this ministry. And I said something. I probably was a little younger and ruder back then, maybe. I said, if you don't think this is something you want to be a part of, that's okay. You can leave, but we're doing this. And so I think the important thing was this is the pastor. This is what he feels like that God wants us to do with the church, and we're going to do this. And so it wasn't like, well, I, you know, I understand, or just kind of trying to beat around the bush. Just say, hey, this is what we're going to do. The pastor has to own it. If he's going to take on a ministry of any kind, he has to be sure this is what God wants him to do. Then he's got to own it. Then he's got to communicate with the people. This is what we're going to do. Understanding that maybe some people might leave. Some people might be uncomfortable. Some people might, might, might won't be on board of this. But I knew that enough about the New Testament to know the kind of people that Jesus saves and changes and to know that we're all broken, messed up people. That's the problem that some church people don't get. Yeah. Well, there's... There's church planners out there today and pastors, uh, more than a handful that came through the ministry because you said yes. Amen. You know, and and it was a little bit of a different, I remember the words you said and it wasn't, you can leave. 
Yeah. It was don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you or something like that. Uh, Could have been. Yeah, huh? yeah. I'm trying to edit that part out, man, <laughs> for my brain. I don't know. No, it was, it was, it was good. And, and so, then you know it was incredible that you that the man we we had the house that you guys met in, and man, uh, the first time is more people than we anticipated. And then we were going to use the gym. Of course, the gym at the Broadway was used for weddings and rehearsals and, and youth activities. So that's when we made a decision to rent the building over uh, on um, Talmadge. Talmadge. And you guys were there for seven years. Seven years. Seven years. That was a really interesting building, man. I'm sorry you had to be there for seven years. But it was the timing of God to give you guys this building that you're in now. There's a text in, uh, there's scripture in Deuteronomy 8. And, uh, and I go there a lot and I read that chapter. And, um, and God speaks to me through that to a bunch of homeless slaves that never had anything. Mm. And uh, born to slaves, born into a slave family. And he said, you're about to go into the promised land. <laughs> and you're going to yeah. eat. You've been drinking water from a rock for your whole life. And you, 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 you've only had one meal your whole life. But when you step into this promised land, you're going to have a home. They never had a home. Never had a home. That's right, brother. You're going to have land. You're going to have not only water, but you're going to have streams and brooks flowing. Wow. And then he said, you're going to have, uh, have vineyards didn't plant, and you're going to have every kind of bread you could ever want. Mm. But be careful. And he said this in Deuteronomy 8. He said, I've, I allowed you to hunger and go thirsty so I could test you to know what was in your heart. You whether go, you would bro. honor me or not. So mm. don't get high-headed when you get in this land. And, and forget puff, me. Don't forget me. Mm. Because if you do, this is what's going to happen. You're going to say, I did this. That's a good word right there, brother, for me to remember and you to remember. That's a good word. Thank you. And, and, and when we were in that building seven years, he tested us. And uh, we were the only, there was only one other recovery ministry in Springfield at that time. And there was times when we would have eight, 900 people in that building. I mean, incredible numbers. And two working bathrooms, two bathrooms, with two working stools total. Kids running wild, uh, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, bats flying through the building while you yeah. preach, you know. Uh, rats <laughs> eating the food. I mean, it's just crazy. And uh, and so, you know, here we are today where, you know, God's being really good to us. And... Uh, uh, I believe it's an extension of Crossway. Um, you know, the the blessing is just we're connected. Amen, brother. And, and God is God is doing it. And so, uh, do you ever struggle sharing your your recovery story with people? Um, it's sometimes a struggle to know how much to share it. You know, um, when to share it. I'm never ashamed to share it. So, and then sometimes, you know, after you're, you know, I've just been 40 years, you know, since I've been a Christian. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been that long since I was an 18-year-old kid. The Lord saved me and changed my life. So, you know, after these many years, I don't always default to that, you know. Um, but I probably should, you know, keep myself reminded of where I came from and not be, I'm not ashamed to share it, no. Do you ever fear relapse? You know, I don't think about that a lot, uh, you know, anymore. Um, I fear uh, a lot of things above that. 
I fear, as you talked about a moment ago, forgetting to be um, mindful of the fact that I am where I am because of God, and I need Him as much today as I did when I was an 18-year-old kid. And just because you know how to do something, you've learned how to do it over the years, pastoring, counseling, preaching, preparing a sermon, you know, leading, um, that you kind of uh, aren't as desperate for God's presence or God's power or God's hand as you once were when you knew you didn't know anything. So keeping pride from slipping in, I'm fearful of that. I'm fearful of, you know, being tempted in the area of whether it be money, whether the area of, of, of another bigger opportunity, you know, or some of those kind of things like that, that I try to make sure I remind myself to be humble and be aware of those relapses, those cave-ins. You know, you said one, one time, and a message, and I forget this, and I've stolen this from you, by the way, and used it. But there's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> brother. <laughs> nothing new under the sun. But you talked about how that tree fell in your driveway, and how it affected the other trees all around it. You remember that? You, you don't remember, do you? I don't remember exactly so how the story went. The tree fell, and Stan came over. I think. Oh yeah, it got hung up in the other trees, yeah, and scratched and scarred up all the stuff around it. Mm-hmm. So when a big tree falls, all the little trees are affected. And um, what would the devil love more than to to knock you down and uh, or me or That's right, bro. any of us, right? And so me and you are both one dumb decision away from doing something stupid today, right? Yeah. So we're walking circumspectly and um, being aware of our surroundings and being very careful with those boundaries in our lives. Um, so today, what's your biggest burden, Pastor? Yeah. I'll say, brother, just to pick up on what you were just saying, uh, I often tell our staff that, you know, you're one step from stupid and you're leaning. And that's the truth about all of us. Biggest burdens today, brother, would be um, I've got a couple of them, but I guess the biggest one would be, you know, my children, the salvation and following Jesus for my children. You know, um, I want them to know and follow Jesus. And so the salvation of some of my family that I'm not sure about their soul. And um, so that's the biggest burden. And then I want to see my grandkids grow up to trust Christ and follow him. That's a big burden. Amen. I can identify with that one. Did you ever think you'd be where you are right now? Never. Never thought that one time in my life, brother. I mean, when I was a, a youth pastor, I thought that was wonderful. And then I became a pastor of a church. It was a strong little country church. You know, I thought, man, this is this is it. And God keeps stretching me and giving me opportunities. I don't want to disappoint him. So, yeah, no, I never thought I would pastor a church like Broadway and like Crossway has become with that many people and that many missionaries and church planners and then a ministry like Freeway to be connected. And I, I'm, I'm honored that, uh, that God let us cross paths, that he put you in my life. You're like a spiritual son to me. And I'm proud of you, man. I mean, I thank God for you. I don't want to puff you up or anything like that because you're like me. You're just a man. You put your pants on one leg at a time. We're frail and we're human, but I'm grateful to see God at work in your life. So, no, I never thought I would have the opportunity to be connected to some of the things and see some of the things I've seen uh, through the ministry of Crossway. And uh, I can't wait to see what God has for us next, man. I think one day we'll get to heaven and Jesus, I see him put his hands on his knees. And I know 
that God is spirit, worship him in spirit and truth, but he's going to say, you never seen that coming, did you? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I think he, I think first Corinthians chapter one, the last part of that chapter, I tell myself that often, you know, not many wise, not many noble are called, but God chose the weak to confound the mighty and the foolish to confound the wise that no flesh would glory in his presence. And I say sometimes, Lord, but this is a foolish and weak like me that he'll still want, we still want to glory in your presence. We still want to take credit for this. But the point is he wants us to, take weak things and broken things and frail things that people can step back and say, that guy didn't get that done. That guy didn't accomplish that. There's no way God had to do that. Amen. And so God gets the glory. Amen. Amen. We don't have anything to boast about. So uh, what brings you joy today, brother? Man, what brings me joy today? Well, seeing people saved, seeing people discipled, Seeing young people called to ministry, you know, like young man texted me yesterday, you know, I want to take, I'm going to take my first group of classes. What classes should I take? And I can communicate with him about he's going to go to Bible college, wants to take some classes. And so, and seeing God save and shape and mold and disciple people's lives. And of course, I get great joy out of preaching. I love to preach and love to share Amen. the word of God. But I just love seeing people's lives change, man. That's the greatest joy. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate you coming coming on and hanging out with us and um, sharing your story. Amen. Sharing your story with us. It's, a, it's an honor. Yeah. And uh, learned a lot from you, and I appreciate you. Yeah, well, Brother John, thank you. I mean, I know you've had lots of people on to share their story, but I appreciate you letting me come by and hang out with you and share parts of my story with you today. So thank you for having me. Amen. And so if you're looking for a church, Crossway Baptist Church. Hey, man. Yeah, let me invite you to Crossway, 2900 North Barnes Avenue uh, here in Springfield. And, of course, you can check us online as well. I don't know. I know there's people living in different places, different states, but we'd love for you to come by online and visit us and hear our music and see the ministries and hear the preaching and be encouraged and be helped. So, again, thank you, Brother John. Amen. Well, you've heard the story of Pastor Eddie's One Broken Life. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would ask that you share it uh, on your social media platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Podbean, uh, whatever the case may be, YouTube. And if you want to support One Broken Life, One Broken Life is a podcast of Freeway Ministries. And so uh, you could go to the freeway-ministries.com uh, and you can go to donation tab and you can support us. And you can pray for us. That's what we need. We need prayer. And so I want to thank you uh, for joining us, and I'll see you next time at One Broken Life.